Hello, college football fans, and welcome to episode 153 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined, as always, by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, college football fans and Husker fans. Yes. Hello, everybody. We are College Football Throwdown, a father-son duo here to talk about college football by college football fans for college football fans. Uh, we were busy last week, so we weren't able to uh, come to you between week, weeks one and two of college football, um, but we are here after week two to preview week three and talk about all the stuff that's happened. There's been a lot in the Nebraska world. There's been a lot in the national world. You know, coaches are being fired already, so there's plenty of drama as we get into college football season. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and there's just there's so much to talk about, and obviously we can't fit it all in, but we're going to do our best to to hit the highlights. That's right. And before we dive into all that, we're going to stick with our tradition and open up some cold beverages. Uh, I've got my yes. uh, Japanese Sapporo beer here. Yes. Well, I and I have uh, a uh, Labatt Blue, uh, one of my favorite beers from our friends up north. And uh, one, something I really get to enjoy while I'm here in Michigan. And since we're about to leave to head to the uh, God's country, you know, the good life. Uh, here later this week, uh, this is this is going to be some of my last opportunity. I might pick up one final case on the way out of town. So here's to here's to our friends to the north and their ability to make a good beer. All Cheers, right. Labatt's Blue. Cheers. Yes. And for those who are curious out there, God's country is of course referring to Nebraska. So uh, that's where they're headed. <laughs> yeah. Of course, <laughs> as if it needed anybody any. who's listened to exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it needed explanation. Some good friends of mine uh, did share with me uh, this the, just a few days ago that they are, uh, you know were listening to the last podcast and uh, really enjoyed it. So, Alex, let's we got to keep plugging away, and they found it uh, entertaining. All right, I'll have to summon the effort to get through my despair at watching Nebraska football. <laughs> Yes, yes, we need to talk about that, uh, but we'll yes. do that on an, on another occasion. <laughs> well, let's start with some good news on the Nebraska front. Um, so uh, just after we recorded our last podcast was the Nebraska volleyball game, the Husker Day, where uh, volleyball day, where they played a game against an Omaha team within the Memorial Stadium, the football stadium, with the goal of breaking a world record for highest attendance at a woman's sporting event and you and mom and my sister all got to go to the actual event to see it in person. And you were part of the 92,000 people who were there that broke the record on that historic night. So tell us what it was like. Well, Alex, uh, it was called the volleyball day in Nebraska. It was kind of billed once they, you know, created the event, it was billed as a, as a, an event, a celebration of volleyball and its special place in, you know, the Nebraska culture. So all the teams involved in there were four teams that played uh, were uh, part of the Nebraska um, uh, collegiate system, right? Uh, two of them were division two and then two of them were division one. And uh, of course the, 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 the big marquee matchup would be, you know, university of Nebraska Lincoln against university of Nebraska, Omaha, two division one schools. And uh, uh, it was just a, an event that took an enormous amount of resource and, and effort to pull off, uh, and, but they were able to do it. 
amazingly, they, they sold out, effectively sold out the, the primary stadium seats in about 48 hours, which is just incredible. So it went from them hoping to break uh, a record uh, that at, prior to that event was around 18,500 people. And, and within 48 hours, they had sold about 86,000 seats, 86,000 seats, you know, so uh, pretty remarkable. And then they ended up opening up the, the, the floor so that they could get a few more people in there. And they didn't know whether they would get to that world record. But oh, as time approached, uh, the date approached, they began to become more confident that they were going to get there. And ultimately, they did end up breaking it by about you know, six or 700 people. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I was watching uh, the game on Big Ten Network um, and it was awesome seeing, yeah, those pictures like overhead of the stadium, just chock full of people. Um, And I saw it, I asked some of my, you know, other friends here in LA about it afterwards, you know, and everyone was like, oh yeah, I saw, I saw the news about that. So the word definitely got out and it got some great traction for the university. Absolutely. It's going to have a huge impact. I mean, it really did. It it, it crossed the boundaries uh, of, you know, Nebraska college sports and really extended into a global, uh, globally significant event. I mean, it got it got attention all over the world. And um, it really was remarkable. I, I, I would have to say that having attended quite a number of college football games there in the stadium, this would fall into my top five of all time. Uh, it was it was really an incredible uh, environment uh, to be a part of. And then, you know, all the festivities after the volleyball game was over were equally fascinating. And I just have to give a ton of credit to uh, Trev Albers and the entire staff at the university that organized this, uh, because I think they they executed it about as well as you could execute an event of that magnitude. And they did it uh, to a degree that shocked i think just about everyone who attended like everybody uh seemed to just be sitting there nodding their head like this is incredible whether they were from one of the other schools or the players and fans of university of nebraska lincoln so Mm -hmm. it was a great success and i'm so happy that emma got to be there and and be a part of it and the actual official number was ninety-two thousand and three people so we like to say that it was the three of us that that put it over the 90, <laughs> 92,000. I like that. So, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and and thankfully like the weather was good, right? Cuz if given yeah. how pretty close we were to the record like you say it was only like 500 600 people that really took us over. Right. So if the weather had been poor, it, we definitely would not have done it, I don't think. No. Um No, we we went so we, we would have we would have easily got yeah, we would have easily gotten the record for volleyball. Right. I mean, that was a, that was a no brainer. As long as we had the event uh, in the stadium, we were going to be fine there. Uh, But yeah, we, we wouldn't have broken a world record. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the game itself was fun to watch. Uh, Not super competitive. You know, the, the main Nebraska team uh, dominated each of the sets that were played, I would say, um, which you would expect because obviously they're, you know, a much more talented team and are hoping to cut, potentially compete for the national championship this year. Um, so do you have, did you have any thoughts about the team specifically? Oh, I, I I'm, I'm really excited about our volleyball team this year. I, uh, they're very young. Uh, uh, and so that youth is going to probably lead to a few 
failures, a few uh, losses and things like that as the season progresses. And we may or may not uh, be in that contention group um, as we approach the end of the season. But I'm very excited about our future, and and it, and it's a team that's a lot of fun to watch. Um, but uh, but in reference to your comment about you know the opponent, which was University of Nebraska Omaha, there was some commentary from some uh, quarters about that and saying, oh, I wish they had put a more legitimate opponent. Well, the last time we had played University of Nebraska Omaha in 2021, they uh, the game went five sets. It, right. it went the distance. So, so it's not like this is a team that doesn't have some historic uh, talent to it. The University of Nebraska Omaha has, has been in the NCAA tournament, uh, you know, has competed in is, is typically first or second in their conference almost every year. Um, and so, you know, that was pretty competitive. And, and frankly, if we had had a big mar- matchup like, a, say, University of Texas or University of Kentucky or somebody like that in this matchup, and then the weather had been more questionable or even in the weather that we experienced. I mean, both teams talked about how hard it was to deal with the wind. Uh, as perfect as the weather was, it still wasn't, you know, without wind. So um, if that had ended up influencing a, a significant game that changed the direction of who got home court advantage for the NCAA tournament, people would have been critical of Nebraska for having put themselves or the other team in that situation, right? It would have been better to have a normal game, quote, quote. Right. So I think this was uh, perfectly executed as an event. Uh, and it, it also gave a concentration of money then to all the Nebraska schools. So, so the, I think it was perfectly selected and executed. And I would argue that to my death. <laughs> yeah. And like we said on a previous podcast, it's kind of a celebration of women's volleyball across the state of Nebraska, not just University of Nebraska, Lincoln. Um, Correct. so that was another aspect of it. Yes. Um, now, switching from the success of the volleyball team and all the positive feelings there to the Nebraska-Minnesota football game, which was the following day, we gave our predictions for that Nebraska-Minnesota game on our previous podcast, and I predicted that Minnesota would win uh, in a close game 21-17, uh, while you predicted that we would win in a higher scoring close game of 34-31. Uh, and unfortunately, my pessimism ended up being correct because they beat us uh, in a low-scoring game of 13 to 10, in a game where we very well should have won if we were able to actually convert on offense and not uh, turn the ball over. Right, uh, a very common theme, and uh, sounds like an echo from previous years. We clearly have still uh, not overcome our issues with being able to produce a complete uh, offensive um, team that can do just the basic stuff correctly. Uh, It's just remarkable to me that we now find ourselves in a situation where we have a quarterback who has a fundamental flaw and we have no backup that we can go to now that this reality has exposed itself. So that's a sad deal uh, for us as Nebraska fans, knowing that, you know, it looks like we have a, a few components to a good, not great, but a good football team. But those components will probably have to suffer through a number of losses due to the fact that we have certain components in our team that aren't able to do the basic things they need to do to, to secure a victory. And that is not turn the ball over. 
not make stupid penalties. Right. Well, and actually, yeah, if you look at the stats, like in terms of uh, passing, we were 11 of 19 for 114 yards. So, you know, we weren't getting a lot on the passes, um, but, you know, we were uh, completing them at a reasonable rate. It's just then when you look at that uh, three next to the stat sheet for the three interceptions, uh, which were all very... Uh, poorly timed and gave them short fields that allowed them to score pretty quickly in situations where our defense otherwise did a good job of slowing them down. We held them to only 55 yards rushing uh, the whole game. They had more success passing it against us, uh, especially later on in the game. Um, And we got three sacks on their quarterback as well. They got three sacks on us in return. Um, so, you know, it was, once again, it was a competitive game, a game we should have won, you know, and I do put some, uh, fault on the coaches, for example, for how they mismanaged, uh, the clock near the end of the second quarter, right? They, uh, instead of taking a timeout when they could have to retain, you know, the 20 seconds we had, we tried to go hurry up, which led to us false starting. And then I believe on the falling play Sims threw a pick in the end zone, right? That, uh took away any possibility of us even getting a field goal there. Um, so there were situations like that where I was critical of the the coaching staff. Um, but at the end of the day, you just can't turn the ball over. And that falls on Jeff Sims. And then also on Anthony Grant, who we knew had a problem with turning the ball over in practice. And in the fourth quarter, when we couldn't afford it, he coughed it up again. Right, exactly. And see, to me, that is... I mean, certainly it falls on uh, Anthony Grant to, to correct his problem, but at the same time, it falls even uh, more directly in, in that situation on the coaching staff and specifically the running backs coach that his job is to manage his room, is to manage his position. And he should never, ever have had uh, Anthony Grant out there in the field at that time, given the history that he had. Uh, you know, during, during practice with his fumbling. I mean, you just don't do that. So I put that all on our running backs coach. Yeah. And one thing that I was frustrated with, with the defense was that we would do a nice job of doing what we're supposed to keeping them to short gains on first and second down, force them into a third and long situation. But then many times they're able to convert that third down. Um, I'm looking here. They were eight of 17 on third downs. So 17 goes to show you how many times we got them to third down, right? And they converted right. a little less than half. Um, we right. got, I think we got better on that in the second half, but especially in the first half, I noticed it was happening a lot where we were giving that right. up. Well, and 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 frankly, it's, it's one of those things where um, that's one of the concerns I have about our defensive scheme, which is a which is an aggressive style scheme. And, and because you have very few really big bodies in there, right? With a three, three, five, a a lot of time, you're only going to have three really big, large humans on that, on that front group. Right. And so because of that, you're, you have to do a lot of stunting and, and gap uh, attacking and things of that nature that, um, works great when you guess right. But, uh, when you guess wrong or you don't get home, meaning they pick up, you know, your movement, and then you're not able to get to the quarterback in time, then you're leaving your secondary out to dry. And they're eventually going to 
get somebody open. And there's just too many people running wide open. We're still making too many mental errors in the secondary. And, and those lead to, you know, big conversions where we're third and 18 and they get 22 on right. third down. Right. And to give Jeff Sims credit, um, he was our leading rusher, I believe, in that game. You know, uh, we were able to use his legs effectively on multiple occasions. You know, he sometimes he scrambled out of bad situations to get a positive gain. And then he threw, you know, a good uh, medium range, short to medium range passes, right, that had some zip on them that, you know, got a first down and that sort of thing. Uh, however, it's clear that his long ball is not there, is not at all accurate. And then his uh, choices under pressure, uh, also not great because of the uh, three interceptions, obviously. Right. And and, and even his arm strength I, I and accuracy, you know, either uh, our coaches do a very poor job of evaluating that in practice, which I don't believe is the case, or he does better in practice than he did in the, in these first two games, meaning it didn't translate, right? Because if he was having the inaccuracy problems that he's demonstrated in the, in these first two games uh, with his passing, then um, they would have been talking about other uh, options at quarterback. You know, it wouldn't have been so, they wouldn't have been so invested in, in Jeff Sims as our starter. So I'm convinced that he physically can, throw the ball accurately and and when he's doing his mechanics properly uh, in the relaxed atmosphere of you know a typical practice it seems he must do that but then uh, he's now demonstrated that when you get into a game situation his he tightens up his you know motion isn't the same his progression isn't the same his decision making isn't with the same crispness and speed and everything does it falls apart Uh, And that's not, uh, you know, that happens to players. It just does. There are players that are primetime players and there are players that aren't. So uh, he just might be one of those athletes that's a physical freak, but doesn't have the mental fortitude to be able to perform the same way he practices. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then one thing that happened after our most recent podcast, it was actually the day after, I think, was that... uh, our tight end Eric Gilbert was arrested for burglary. Uh, so obviously that wasn't great for uh, our, you know, kind of wide receiver room. And then also Isaiah Garcia Castaneda uh, tours ACL in that first game and is out for the season. Uh, so those were two things we were carrying with us into this Colorado game uh, where of course uh, Colorado had a huge upset win over TCU in week one and was the talk of the town. Uh, and my earlier prediction on the previous podcast where I said I thought we would lose to Minnesota but win against Colorado, I was going on the assumption that Colorado would be like us and struggle, you know, uh, being uh, under a first-time coach, you know, and adopting a new system, all that stuff, and that they would lose to TCU. Uh, obviously, I was wrong about that, so I was definitely predicting that we would lose uh, this Colorado game, and I was surprised that the spread was only minus 2.5 on game day for Colorado because uh, I knew they would beat us bigger, and then they did. Right. Well, and and actually, it's interesting. I, um, I, um, you know, you may recall my my predictions were that um, uh, I was I was hopeful that we would beat uh, Minnesota, and I felt like we had a a really good chance to ba- just based on what I believe Minnesota's team is, is going to be right. But, uh, um, we, we, again, 
made so many mistakes to make it virtually impossible for us to win the game, even though we were winning up towards the until the end uh, you know, of the game. Uh, we, we didn't play in a manner that teams have to play to win games, right? If you don't, if you have all those turnovers, usually you're going to lose, even if you're the better team physically. And I, we demonstrated that for the umpteenth time in the last four or five years. Um, so that's number one. But I also said that if we lost that Minnesota game, uh, in that, especially in that kind of a fashion, that it would lead to a hangover loss in Colorado. And then when I saw Colorado's performance at TCU, I expected the Colorado-Nebraska game to be an absolute blowout. So frankly, the first half and really the first two and a half quarters of the Colorado game, I was feeling pretty good about what we were doing, you know, because um, we were still in it, right? We were within yeah. striking distance um, and uh, and we were doing things, frankly, better than Colorado. Uh, you know, our defense had done phenomenally, I thought, in the first half of keeping them down, but uh, just gave up a couple of big plays, you know, and um, and then the rest of it was just gifts that we kept giving them in the form of turnovers. Um, And you just, again, you can't do that. You're not going to beat a team. If if we had played them straight up, if it was a equal number of turnovers, they had two and we had two, for example, then that, that game's a, a, you know, nip and tuck game to the end. Uh, But because you turn it over as many times as we did, it's not even a chance. Right. Right. Well, and also right. The, you know, the timing of the turnovers and all that sort of stuff, you know, like right right as we're, Location we're, on the we're field. within, yeah, field goal range. You know, we turn the ball over and things like that. Um, right. And I would agree with you. You know, I was frustrated watching the game, obviously, but I was very impressed with our defense. We ended up getting eight sacks over the course of the game on their quarterback, you know, and that aggressive style was definitely being shown off and we were confusing them. And I thought as yes. well that perhaps those few extra days of prep because we did play our first game on a Thursday was Colorado played on a Saturday. So we had a couple extra days to prep for them than they did for us. Um, so I thought that might be, you know, coming to effect. Uh, you'll remember the very first offensive drive we had was a, a successful one where we were, Jeff Sims was passing it well and we were driving the ball down the field on them uh, only to then uh, turn it over. Of course, um, and kill that momentum. Uh, but yeah, the, I would say the Colorado game, which we lost uh, 36 to 14, uh, was an even more stark contrast of the strengths and weaknesses of our team. And that we saw the strengths clearly of our defensive players. I definitely see improvements in terms of tackling. There were a number of tackles that we made in open oh, yeah. space or tripping up a guy's, you know, feet as he ran by, you know, to stop him from getting the edge and stuff like that. Definitely improvements over the Scott Frost era there. Um, however, on the offense, uh, you know, uh, Jeff Sims had a lot of problems both with interceptions as well as even on snapping the ball at the right time. You recall there was a play where he snapped it as our uh, player was running across in front of him and the ball hit that guy and fell on the ground. And thankfully he was able to dive on it and prevent another fumble, but it very well could have gone over to the other team. So there were a few turnover situations that were almost for us that didn't happen. uh, That would have made the score even worse. Um, Right. So 
it was a rough situation. And I was frustrated, as I know you were, because we were texting, that uh, near the end of the second quarter, after you know Sims had thrown another pick or whatever, uh, that the coach didn't uh, sub him out for our second team quarterback, Harburg, you know, and give him some time to like recollect himself mentally. Because then he sent him back out on the next series where we got the ball. And what did he do? It was another turnover. And it was like, right. well, what did you expect to happen? Well, well and he, uh, he he was doing other things, too. I mean, he, early in the game, one of his early turnovers was a, a snap that you could argue was maybe slightly low, but was very, very fieldable. And he, and he bobbled it. And then the, the ball bounced forward in front of him. And he went forward and reached out to try to grab the ball. And literally with one hand rather than just diving on it and curling up and accepting the four yard loss or whatever, he tried to grab it so he could pick it up. So, you know what I mean? Like he was bending yes. over. You, you don't do that. You, you, you dive to the ground and curl up in a ball and protect that football. You forget about the play. Once that falls on the ground, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a oblong spheroid, man. It is not a round ball. It, 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 it bounces weird. You don't ever try to pick it up. Don't ever do it. Okay. And, and especially with our history, that has to be the instruction. And the fact that he didn't do that either, either the coaches had never coached him on, Hey, if this happens, this is what you do. And they should have practiced it, right? There should have been a time in spring practice where they literally went through a process where they uh, threw the ball on the ground and they had the quarterbacks land on it and curl up and protect it. They're running backs doing the same thing. Listen, if you fumble the ball, this is what you do, right? This is how you recover a fumble. Don't worry about, oh, gee, I've, I've screwed up this play or whatever. Doesn't matter. At that point, the most important thing is that we secure possession of the ball and we can then deal with whatever the negative consequences are of some lost yardage. But the, the consequences of that turnover, way bigger deal right? Yes. Way bigger deal. Yeah. And, and you know what, as I, I I'm, I'm looking over the uh, summary of the press conference today, as we are approaching the next game. And I, I didn't realize this, but, um, Chubba Purdy has been dealing with an injury the past few weeks, mm. which is part of why Harburg was, was so obviously the second quarterback that Chubba, uh, was struggling with injury. And so Harburg had emerged as the number two quarterback on the depth chart because obviously Chubb isn't playing as well. Uh, it doesn't sound like he's like hurt so that he can't play at all, but he's, he's injured enough that it's affected his performance at practice. Right. Well, because uh, obviously later on in the game, Jeff Sims went out of the game with an ankle injury after a sack um, and uh, Harburg came on and then Harburg had his helmet taken off so he had to go out for one play and Chubba did come out and threw kind of a loopy bad pass that was incomplete and then Harbor came back out um, I hadn't heard that either um, so that does uh, kind of explain our current depth chart and it makes right. our situation even more precarious if we have exactly. two quarterbacks exactly. who are currently banged up so we really only have one right. current option right. and and We've had a we've done a few podcasts uh, over the course of the summer and since the spring game and uh, you know in the post spring game time frame 
is when we had two scholarship quarterbacks depart the roster. Coach Rule made a decision at that time not to pursue any additional um, portal quarterbacks, right? At the time, we were still heavily in the mix uh, uh, chasing the number one football player uh, in the rankings, so to speak, um, uh, Riala, uh, Dylan Riala, uh, at that time. And I think uh, Coach Rule was not wanting to distract or um, change the the appearance or structure of of our quarterback room in a way that might negatively affect our chances at securing uh, Dylan's you know commitment. And so I have a feeling that he was considering a lot of things when he made the decision not to pursue another portal quarterback. And now, as it's played out, Dylan didn't choose us, obviously. Um, and, uh, and now here we find ourselves with literally three scholarship quarterbacks on our roster, and two of them are hurt. Right. Right. Which, yeah, it it was odd to me that like when Sims, you know, had to be helped off the field and stuff, because like the the tackle was a pretty standard, you know, his legs kind of got caught from behind him as he was running to pass the ball sort of thing. You know, it didn't look right. like anything uh, more serious. And now I obviously I know that's not a, you know, medical uh, assessment. Right. Um, you know, you don't know what's going on underneath and everything like that. And clearly there was something more serious going on there. Um, but it's definitely worrying because at least with our past quarterbacks, right? Like Adrian Martinez, or even Casey Thompson, typically we would get into, into the mid season, at least before they went out hurt, you know, and we had to sub in a second team quarterback, but now we're having to do it, uh, from week one or from week two rather. And even then, like, you know, we've had some uh, quarterbacks that are certainly prone to turnovers in the past years, but I think Jeff Sims takes the cake in terms of like how many turnovers we've already had and how preventable some of them have been, right? Like the one you mentioned about, you know, him not jumping on the snap right away and uh, things of that nature. Uh, so I, I mean, I'm honestly almost wondering if it's maybe a blessing in disguise that we're playing Harburg, you know, for this upcoming game against Northern Illinois, and that if he's getting the practice time, you know, and getting time to be like, okay, I am the quarterback. I need to lead this team. You know, let's play, change the playbook a bit to play to his strengths. He's obviously more of a runner than a passer, even than, than Jeff Sims is. Um, so let's figure out how we can make that work. And even if Harburg is objectively not as skilled as Sims in, you know, the passing game or as an overall quarterback, if he's not coughing up the ball as much, I would see that as an improvement. I would agree. Because I think, especially against these next two opponents, we should, keyword being should, have athletic superiority at not only in the skill positions, but also in, at the lines of scrimmage, right? Even as bad as we might be along the offensive line in, in recent years, uh, the fact is, is that uh, the the talent we're we're starting with uh, is at least equal to that of Northern Illinois and next week uh, Louisiana Tech. So so this is a window of opportunity now for us to uh, uh, stabilize ourselves and build some confidence over these next two weeks. And that's what we need to do. We need to simplify our game plan and, like you say, play to the strengths of our quarterback and just go out there with the primary goal of execution. 
just go out there and do your jobs. Right. Just guys, be be Division One football players, and we'll be fine. Right. And going back to the Colorado game, uh, obviously we had four turnovers in the game. Well, Colorado had one very late in the game when the outcome was already decided, which led to our uh, touchdown score at the end of the game. Uh, but mm-hmm. if you look at the stats, uh, we did a we did a good job rushing it. You know, we had 41 rushes for a total of 222 yards. Well, they had 33 for only 58 yards. So we really shut down their rushing game totally. Uh, but then obviously they were able to figure out how to pass against us. They got several big pass plays off where their talented athletes were able to get some space and get some big yards. So they had 396 total yards on passing while we had 119. Um, right. And we were 11 of 22. So right at 50% in terms of completions uh, for a total of 341 yards while they were at 454. Um, okay. So, you know, and in terms of penalties, right, we had six for 40. Well, they had nine for 80. They had a lot of uh, both false start penalties as well as uh, unsportsmanlike conduct penalties and things like that. So they weren't playing, you know, their cleanest either. I would say they weren't playing as clean as they were against uh, TCU. Um, and yet, you know, we and we were able to make trouble for them, especially in the first half with our defense. But eventually, you know, the defense was being out there so much, you know, and they kind of uh, lost lost their steam, I think, as the game went along. And it was clear we weren't going right. to win, and the offense kept putting them in bad situations. Um, but it did give me some highlights of hope for the season and that I think we can, especially against some of the more, you know, mid-tier Big Ten teams, uh, that we can – uh, slow them down offensively and give them some trouble with this defensive scheme we have, the three-three-five. Uh, but the real, obviously, the big gaping hole is the offense and the quarterback. Because if we can't, you know, score, then it doesn't matter. Right. And and the thing is, we we also are, uh, find ourselves in a situation where we really don't have a difference maker at uh, wide receiver or at running back. We have good players at those positions guys that are solid, right? Uh, and they're either too young and have not yet had the opportunity to emerge as, as difference-making talent, or, or they just haven't demonstrated it yet. And, uh, you know, we, we had a, a fairly interesting and challenging draw to begin the season with two Power 5 opponents, including one conference opponent, and um, where you look around the country and you're not going to find a lot of schools that have played you know, two power five football teams in their first two weeks, right? Uh, if somebody played a big time opponent in the first week, they probably played something of a lesser opponent in, in this past week. So uh, we, we didn't do ourselves any favor in how we scheduled uh, with this non-conference season this year. So, um, but now we have a chance to push the reset button and kind of say, okay, you know, things didn't go our way here early in the season, but we've now established that we can play some pretty decent defense and our kicking game, although not great because we did miss a field goal uh, this past week in the Colorado game is pretty solid. Our punter has done quite well um, through two games, right? And the kickoffs have done reasonably well. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's some elements there that you can look at and say, okay, th- those, those appear to be fairly solidified. Even our, punt return game is clearly better than it has been in years. Uh, so uh, I, I feel good about a lot of those things. I just need the uh, the detail and the, the locking in 
by our assistant coaches needs to be better. And, and, and I will give them a, a little bit of a pass because it's a new staff. You know, they're, they're getting together and they're communicating for the first time with each other. And, and so they are, they're making a few of those first time type of mistakes. Okay. I get it. They're human, but that needs to tighten up now. You know, those details better be being discussed by Matt rule and his staff. If we continue to see the, 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 the basics of football, not understood by our players, then that falls to the coaches. And so to me, my measure as I watch the team over these next two to three games is, is going to be in what is the level of clean execution that we get in all phases of the game and, and, and what then is the end result. I think if they did that against these next two opponents, we should come out victorious. Now the third one, obviously being Michigan, that isn't quite going to do it, but, but at least we would come into the game with a level of confidence and, and a recognition that we can execute. Right. Because, yes, the next two games against Northern Illinois and Louisiana Tech, both at home as well, whereas these first two games against Power 5 teams have both been away, adding to the That's difficulty. Right. Um, so right. I agree that this is our time to stabilize, to figure out what we're doing at quarterback, you know, to uh, get some confidence under the belts of these players. Um, and then we have the game in Michigan, like you say, which is probably going to be a brutal loss, but we can accept that. And then we have a stretch of at Illinois, home with Northwestern, home with Purdue, uh, which are all, you know, teams that have beaten us in recent years, but definitely winnable. And we have at Michigan State after that, which we'll talk about later. They're obviously going through some chaos this year, so I'm, I'm not convinced that that's a automatic lose. You know, so we, we have some games coming up where we can reestablish ourselves uh, and actually get you know over four wins you know for once that would be nice um so that's the hope i'm i'm clinging to um but it really it all comes down for me to the quarterback situation because like depending on who's hurt you know and are they playing well and etc etc i mean if we if we really lose both sims and chubba you know for whatever reasons because their injuries get reignited or whatever and we're stuck with Harburg and Harburg can't step up to the task I mean we've literally got no one behind him uh so then we're really in a pickle yep oh I know uh and and uh, so I'm 100% in agreement with you Alex again I I think I've seen the glimmers of hope in every area even the wide receivers I mean they did some great blocking uh over these the these first couple of of weeks uh, there's been some good possession, um, catching, you know, uh, um, our, uh, Fidone got a tight end, you know, touchdown pass there, that last touchdown in the Colorado game. So, I mean, there's glimmers of hope that we can start to build off of that. And I just want our coaching staff to, uh, look, look inward to themselves and say, okay, what do we got to do to get these kids to not make mistakes? Right. It's not about, hey, let's let's execute faster. Let's execute this, you know, better. That's not rule number one. Rule number one is let's eliminate the mistakes. Let's let's take care to the nth degree ball security. Let's make our decision making be clear and crisp. And as a coaching staff, let's make sure that our um, um, rotation of players makes complete and 100% sense 
to the situation. You have to be on the ball, totally locked in all the time for four quarters. Right. Okay. And if you do that, then you're going to win. Right. And also to mention one other aspect of our team, the offensive line, um, I'm still uh, concerned about their pass protection because there were many times that either Sims got sacked or he was forced to go on the run, you know, uh, on various plays. Um, But on the other hand, you know, we were able to have a lot of success rushing the ball and you don't have that unless your offensive line is making some, you know, progress there. And like the nice big touchdown run we had in the third quarter, I believe it was, they made a huge hole for Sims and he took off and showed off his speed and ran down the field for a touchdown. And and at that point we were still uh, within striking distance in the game, right? It was still a live game. And I was hoping that that would uh, increase the confidence of Sims on the team. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Um, But, you know, I'd say that the offensive line is improved from what we saw last year. Uh, Now there's still some problems for sure that I would like to see us work on in these next two games. Um, But like you say, there there are glimmers to hang on to. Yes, exactly. Well, and, and again, as I look over the comments from coach rule during his press conference, you know, he accepted responsibility. He, he took the accountability to say, Hey, I did a poor job of preparing, you know, the team in certain specific areas, like preparing for the crowd noise, you know, things of that nature. And we are, uh, we want to win badly. We, we know we're not doing the things we need to do to win. And he's, he's taking that and saying, Hey, we got to get better. And when he says we, he's talking about his coaching staff. So I don't think there's any problem with where Matt Rule's head is at. Okay. Uh, and uh, he's going to just keep grinding and keep trying to get better. And, and I could still see uh, a progression through the season if we were to be blessed with maybe a little bit of, of good health with our team. You know, we haven't been blessed up to this point, but if, if that stabilized and we were able to get through, you know, th- these next few games without a, a, a bunch of critical players being booted for the rest of the year because of injury, uh, then we have a chance to really build some depth and and become a solid football team by the end of the year. Right. And so now thinking about this Northern Illinois game, uh, they are a max school. They're currently one and one. They lost last week against Southern Illinois, their rival. Um, and we've been told mm-hmm. that Jeff Sims uh, has an ankle injury and uh, he did not practice on Sunday. We're recording this here on Monday. Uh, it is September 11th. Um, and uh, we his progress is day-to-day, according to the coaches. So we don't know for sure if Jeff Sims is going to be the quarterback or if Harvard's going to be the quarterback. Uh, personally, I would, as I mentioned earlier, I would lean towards just go with Harburg, you know, give him his chance. Um let Sims rest, you know, a, it'll heal, give him time to heal his injury and B give him some time to get some things figured out mentally, you know, maybe do practices with the center, you know, off on the sidelines or whatever, just do what he needs to do to not uh, make all these turnovers happen. Um, And I'm hoping that we come to Lincoln, Nebraska and that we uh, still struggle. You know, I don't, suddenly think all of our mistakes are going to go away, but I think our defense will do a good job of slowing them down. And I'm hoping that our offense will do a bit better than we've seen so far. And so we'll win in a pretty close game of 21 to 14. Wow. Okay. So here's my thing. I I think, I think Sims is going to start. 
uh, I, I think he'll end up practicing. He, you know, he didn't practice on Sunday. That's the first, basically the first practice of the, of the week. And it's kind of a fairly light practice. Uh, they are off on Monday. So the team didn't even practice today. Um, and I have a feeling that, that by tomorrow, Jeff will be taking some snaps. Maybe he won't, maybe it'll be a 50, 50 thing. And, uh, between he and Harburg tomorrow, but by, you know, by Thursday, it's, uh, Jeff is going to have the reins again at, at starting quarterback. And I, and I kind of agree with that, uh, just in that, uh, rather than having him stand back and watch against this lesser opponent, I think you try to seize the moment against this lesser opponent and allow him to build some confidence. Now, if he goes out there against this uh, perceived lesser opponent, Northern Illinois, and he continues to have the same mental mistakes, then it's a much easier decision as the coach to say, okay, I, I gave you uh, ample opportunity to you know, respond as an athlete needs to respond at this level, and you didn't. So now I'm going to go to Harbaugh, right? So I have a feeling that if Jeff can go, he's going. Uh, and, but, but it wouldn't shock me if he's got a pretty quick hook uh, if his performance isn't way, way better than it's been, in particularly in the area of ball security. Uh, so, uh, I am predicting, uh, because I really do believe Matt rules going about this in the right fashion that I, that I, I, I just, I, I want to believe that Sims is going to respond at some point he's going to respond because much like his games at Georgia tech, he had some games where he looked like an NFL star, right? He, Cause he's a freak athlete. And, and I think this is an opportunity for him to have a game like that, that would help start to build a platform of confidence for him. So I think Matt's going to try to take advantage of that. And I hope that Satterfield is smart enough to put a game plan together that allows that to happen. And we end up scoring quite a few points. I'm going to say we score 35 points or maybe even more, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go 35, 17, Nebraska. All right. I like that. I hope you're right. All right, so now switching over to some national talk. Um, obviously, there's been some big news in the world of college football over these uh, past two weeks. Um, and one of the big ones, which relates to something we talked about on a previous podcast where we were talking about conference realignment and the possibility of Stanford maybe coming to the Big Ten uh, because of their great academics and things like that. Uh, but now it is official that the ACC is accepting Stanford, uh, California, and Southern Methodist University into their conference. So that would raise them up to 18 total members, uh, which leaves the PAC 12 with only two remaining. Right. PAC 12 is down to two. Now the ACC, uh, they don't have 18 members. They're they're only adding three. I looked it up. It said with these additions, it's 18 total 17 football schools. If you're not counting like Notre Dame, right? Because Notre Dame's part of the ACC, but not in football. Yeah. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Now I get it. Okay. Yep, you're right. Yep. So uh, obviously that puts a hole in the hole, you know, Sanford coming to the Big Ten and Notre Dame maybe joining in kind of theory that we're positing. So that's probably not going to happen. We can assume that Stanford uh, reached out to the Big Ten and the Big Ten probably wasn't looking to expand further. They were ready to stay put with what they got. Well, yeah. Well, and and I think they're, 
everybody's probably going to stay foot stay put now until they see uh the dynamics of what happens with the ACC over the next uh, few years uh, uh and um what their next negotiated media rights deal is uh because the Big 12 just recently agreed to a new one the Big 10 just recently agreed to a new one and the SEC's is outstanding so uh the ACC is the only one it depends on what they're able to get the next time they have to go to the table. Right. But as you mentioned, right, the ACC doesn't go to the table until like 2036 or something. Right. Well, yeah, but, but I wonder if the addition of these three, these three schools might prompt some negotiation, right. Between their media partners, which is primarily ABC ESPN. Right. So it would be a matter of whether or not, you know, to, to keep the ACC viable that ESPN doesn't step to the plate and say, Hey, okay, guys, we're willing now that you've brought these other schools in to have a, have an open discussion about where we might be able to go. Um, that's a two edged sword, obviously, because ESPN would almost ultimately be asked to pay more. And why would you do that for something you already have under contract? But the answer is so that, that, that the entity doesn't go away. Um, right, so. because we've heard rumblings that Florida State and maybe even Clemson and some of the other schools right. uh, might be looking to leave. And I read Correct. something that said that uh, if the ACC goes below 16 schools, like they do have to renegotiate the contract and like the current payout uh, wouldn't apply, you know, so right. part, of the thinking, go lower. part of the thinking was, well, they added these new schools. So now even if those schools do leave, they're still at 16, right? So that's right. Uh, That's right. There might be some strategy there. Well, but if you're ESPN, do you want to pay more than what you're already paying uh, uh, for the addition of a, a Stanford University, which has great prominence and 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 uh, prestige academically, but frankly is not a prominent athletic property, right? It's not something that brings eyeballs uh, to uh, the advertisers uh for espn or abc right right so they're not going to pay for that yeah and uh i mean so and cal is even worse and uh smu has the potential to bring some eyeballs but nothing compared to you know justify the average pay that they're already getting so none of those three properties is going to enhance the per team dollars that an acc can get in negotiating a TV contract. Right. And speaking of which, the now PAC two, the two remaining schools, which are Washington state and Oregon state, uh, they have sued the organization, the PAC 12, because apparently in the, in the media deal or in the contracts or whatever, there was a stipulation about how schools uh, could announce their withdrawals from the conference. And they're basically saying that these other schools that have all left uh, announced too early and, you know, it affected their profitability and their ability to negotiate media rights and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so they're saying that those other schools shouldn't be on the board of the PAC 12, I guess, for the remainder of this year, you know, into next year, like until they officially leave the conference. So basically saying we should be the ones ruling the roost because we're the only two left, you know, and you guys don't get a say anymore. Right. And, and um, I kind of agree with them. and 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 if they did get secure that control then i would use that control to 
redistribute uh, the money uh, structure so that they got to keep as much as possible. Um, uh, because as soon as that contract expires and those obligations no longer exist, then um, those, uh, those two schools are going to take a huge negative hit on their compensation. I mean, they're, they're looking at moving from PAC 12 money down to Mountain West money at best. Right. Yeah. Very true. Very true. So yeah, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that as we, you know, continue to see the remnants of this conference realignment shake out. Uh, and then the other piece of news, which is a real bombshell that dropped on Saturday, uh, is that Mel Tucker, who's the current head coach at Michigan State, uh, is currently uh, suspended without pay as he goes through a hearing and an investigation uh, because of a, um, a phone conversation, apparently, that he had with this woman who was a, a rape survivor who he had brought into the program specifically to talk to the team about, you know, uh, being aware of sexual harassment and things of that nature. Uh, but apparently he engaged with some sort of uh, sexual acts with her that are now being accused that were not, you know, consensual and all that sort of stuff. So it's a very bad look, PR look for Michigan State and him personally and real, uh, real stupid, even if, you know, obviously he's saying he didn't do it or that it was consensual or whatever. So they'll they'll fight that out. But regardless, why would you even get close to anything like that when you've got, you know, a 90 million something contract for multiple years because he got that big extension from Michigan State when they wanted to keep him because he was maybe going to go to this other school. So they paid for a big extension for him and he's got a huge amount of money on the table. And I know it's been kind of a mixed bag, right? He's done okay there, but he hasn't done great. Uh, so he really uh, shot himself in the foot there. Yes, yes, he did. Um, you know, it seems like it's a little bit all over the map. I, I've read articles that indicated that he had kind of admitted to having the phone sex conversation. And then I've also seen an article that that says now that offi- uh, officially he's denying that it happened at all. Uh, and so, uh, you know, there's there, this stuff needs to be worked out, right? There is some kind of an issue um, um, and that has to be resolved. And frankly, there's a burden of proof now that has to play out, but regardless, you know, he shouldn't have put himself in that situation. Like you said, when you, when you have the kind of job and money uh, that you're being compensated like he is, then you needed to protect yourself from that situation. And um, he did a very poor job of that. The the other big factor for me, Alex, is apparently Michigan State University did not know anything about this investigation, that they were informed like around Thursday or Friday about it. And, and, and then they were re- reacting to suspend him on Saturday after the game. Um, so how does how does MSU not know, right? Like, how are they kept in the dark? Well, the thing I saw was that uh, this was like her. She complained, or the complaint was raised in like December of 2022, and it was like right. under investigation since then by Michigan State. But that apparently they didn't get the full details until just this week or something like that. Which I don't know <laughs> how you've been investigating for this many months and not. Yeah figured that out. Uh, so okay. it, it's all a little confusing, well, it, but it is. Well, so again, I, I read an article that said they didn't know anything 
and they were completely blindsided by this, like on Thursday, and that she had complained to the NCAA title through oh. some kind of a Title IX thing, and this whole investigation occurred uh, through the NCAA. And but and if that's true, that's a huge black eye for the NCAA because how can you not communicate with one of your member schools that you're investigating them, you know, for that long a period of time? So I don't know. There's just a lot of uh, a lot of people who are trying to be first with their information, and so there's there was a bunch of information thrown at the wall, and God knows what's true and what's not. So I think we're gonna have to let the dust settle. But I think no matter how the dust settles he's ruined at Michigan state. Right. So the, there is going to be, you know, either, uh, at some point in the future, a negotiated settlement. Uh, but, but in the short term, he's done at Michigan state and, and it's just a matter of how much he gets paid or doesn't get paid right. uh, when it's all said and done. Right. Right. Like, yes, technically right now he's just suspended without pay. He's not fired, but I would put the uh, likelihood of him being let go at a high percentage. And if, it's proven it'll be for cause and he won't get paid his full amount. Right. Which is obviously absolutely terrible for him. Uh, now right. he's been the secondary coach at Michigan state. Uh, Harlan Bennett is now the new head coach. And then Mark D'Antonio, who obviously is the former uh, MSU head coach and has been there for a long time uh, is now stepping back into the staff in some sort of like associate head coach role or assistant role. Um, which I think, you know, it, it's, it's good that they were able to get him involved, right? Cause he's a stabilizing force in this kind of time of chaos over there. And what did you say his role is going to be then if he's not going to be the head coach? He's, he's, yeah, he's not the head coach. I, I think I saw like associate, you know, head coach, okay. something along those lines, you know, so he's there to be an advisor, you know, and to help out, but yeah, he's not the top guy. Uh, interesting. Honestly, that sounds like a train wreck. <laughs> you think? I, I hate. I hate that idea. Oh yeah, because mm. you're bringing in a guy that has all kinds of relationships within the university, that has an enormous amount of loyalty among the fan base, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, uh, if you're the guy that's actually named the the interim head coach, right? It it would be like last year in the Nebraska scenario. You know, Mickey Joseph was named interim head coach, but then they uh, they brought Tom Osborne back to oversee uh, Mickey as head coach. You know what I mean? It had just been like, okay, no, 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 you you, you can't mix that bag. Right. Uh, either you're gonna you're gonna give this guy his shot to show what he can do as head coach, or you're not. Right. By bringing D'Antonio in, you're you're mixing old baggage with new baggage. If if you if you understand what I right. mean, though. I would say it's not quite a fair comparison because D'Antonio was let go because, you know, he was kind of falling behind the times, right? And uh, Michigan State fans were kind of done with him and were ready for something new. Uh, but he still is the winningest uh, head coach in their history. So obviously he oh, yeah. still has a good reputation overall, I would say. Absol absolutely. He has a very good reputation overall and, 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 is, and is respected there. But in other ways, at the end of his career, there was some issues off the field with, with his team and stuff. So he did not leave out, out of perfect terms. You know, it was a very, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, 11th hour kind of announcement that he was leaving. And it was very odd how he departed Michigan state. And it seemed like there was even some bad blood there. So I, I don't, I, yeah, I just, 
I don't like anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, and like we say, let's hope there's some chaos and that Nebraska is able to take advantage of it later in the season. So now focusing on the big national games that have happened, you're talking about some real football here. Um, obviously, in week one, uh, probably the biggest single game was that Colorado TCU game, which Colorado won 45-42. Um, I predicted that TCU would win 42-28. On a previous podcast, you predicted that they would win 35-27 over Colorado. So both of us were wrong, um, though I think I, you were, you you expressed more concerns about TCU than I did. So I was definitely caught off guard with their win, uh, though watching the highlights of the game, they missed a field goal and had two interceptions in the end zone. Uh, so frankly, you know, they shot themselves in the foot and Colorado took advantage, I think, more than anything. Yep. And I, I would describe our game with Colorado similarly. Now, I'm not saying we're better than Colorado. We were not. But uh, if we don't turn the ball over, I think we have an opportunity to execute our offense and stay with a much more committed running game that, frankly, keeps us in the mix in that game to the final final play. Mm-hmm. And this was another big game from week one, uh, Florida State-LSU. Uh, we both predicted that LSU would win. I said 35-28, while you said 42-35. Uh, but it ended up being, it was a home game for FSU, ended up being a beatdown of 45-24. And frankly, that uh, scoreline doesn't really show the game because LSU got a, a late touchdown, you know, in garbage time when it didn't matter when the game was decided. So it was really 45-17. to uh, And yeah, I was surprised watching the game. There was, you know, LSU did have some mistakes, sure, but it was just a straight up beatdown. Yes, it was. And, and uh, it's, it's going to be interesting because that's going to put a great deal of pressure on LSU because, you know, they had kind of a odd, you know, start slow and then had some big wins later in the, in the year last year. And so people came into this season with some pretty good optimism that, you know, LSU had turned a corner last year uh, and then to uh, play so poorly, you know, th- there's going to be pressure to bear on them right away. Yeah, it was funny. I saw I was looking on Reddit after that game and I saw a lot of uh, vindictive or, you know, happy Notre Dame fans saying, oh, it feels so good to watch a Brian Kelly team get beat down or something like that. So I think there's no love lost with him uh, leaving that program the way he did. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, The other last game we predicted on the previous podcast was Utah, Florida. Uh, I predicted that Utah would win in a high scoring uh, 38 to 20 and you predicted they would win 28 to 21 uh, and ended up being a little lower scoring uh, 24 to 11. It was at home for Utah. Um, and uh, yeah, they looked definitely looked good in that game uh, controlling a Florida team. That's obviously talented, but you know, they've had their own ups and downs with finding the right coach and things of that nature. Yes. And uh I mean, they're just so well coached. Utah is year in, year out. Their their coach is outstanding. And uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how that the year plays out for Utah because they are the defending Big 12 champions, or I mean, Pac 12 champions. Yep. And then uh, two other interesting upsets from week one were uh, Clemson playing against Duke. Uh, Clemson ranked number ninth in the opening week, uh, lost 28 to 7. And then uh, Texas State beat Baylor 42-31 to with Baylor being at home. Um, the Duke game was at home for Duke, but I watched the highlights of that one, and uh, 
that looked rough. If I was a Clemson fan, I'd be uh, down in the dumps for sure because it was just constant mistakes in terms of turnovers and penalties and things like that. It was just not what you'd expect from a Dabo Sweeney team. Right. Well, and and there's a head scratcher, but then Dabo came back the second week, right, and and uh, won huge. Yes, though I don't think they were playing as big of a team. Oh no, they were not. It was a uh, yeah, but uh, but my point is is that that you know they've got talent, right? It's just that that talent wasn't ready to execute in the first week. You're right. So th- it looks like they played against Charleston Southern. And beat them sixty six mm-hmm. to seventeen. So like you say, it was a beat down. Yeah. Right. So it'll be interesting to see uh, the next time that uh, Clemson plays a team that is, you know, reasonably re- highly regarded. What what happens? Because right. if if the if the uh, problems they encountered in that first game kind of re re show themselves, then uh, then the the uh, the the crying fans will will emerge quickly <laughs> for yes. Clemson, but but if if the, he writes the ship, then uh, you know the, they'll just chalk that one up as an aberration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, he's another one that's kind of interesting, who is you know uh, under some pressure from his fan base because he's set the standard so high with the you know the dominance they right. had in the you know mid to late twenty tens. Um, and now he well, hasn't like, like Ohio, Ohio state's kind of same thing, right? Yes. Similar, similar situations where we can say, I think from perspective as Nebraska fans, Hey, just be patient, you know, rolling for a new coach is a big gamble. So, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and then in uh, week two of college football, uh, obviously we did not do a podcast last week, so we were not able to do predictions, but I know for a fact that both of us were thinking that the Alabama-Texas game, which was the big game of last week with Alabama playing at home, we thought that Alabama would win against Texas. Uh, but in a surprise, uh, Texas ended up winning 34-24, to and uh, I would say it was a real showcase of the quarterbacks, because uh, Quinn Ewers, who's been at Texas for a few years now, I think he's kind of coming into his own after some struggles earlier in his career. He played a great game, uh, throwing some great passes and good decision-making, while Alabama's quarterback, who's young and clearly is a phenom because he's got uh, great speed with his legs and he's threw multiple deep balls for big gains in that game, Uh, but then he also threw two interceptions um, and was getting sacked multiple times by Texas. Um, so that was a real difference maker in the game. Yeah, I, I, I feel like Alabama doesn't have their quarterback figured out yet. I mean, uh, th- this is, they have a, a problem, not nearly as bad as ours, but they have a problem where they have a quarterback who has incredible physical skills and I'm sure practices really well. Right? He looks great in practice. But then he made some bonehead decisions and some really bad physical throws where his mechanics were just atrocious. And uh, much like, you know, the last 14 years for Nebraska. So um, I think Alabama is going to struggle a little bit until that's resolved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The difference, though, and I don't know exactly what his year is, but I know that he is a young guy. So you can, you know. Uh, except some of that, you know, if you've got a younger quarterback who you're trying to develop, knowing that he could become a superstar in the future. 
the Jeff Sims mistakes, uh, I could accept much more if he was a, a freshman, but he is a junior, you know, and he's transferring in from another, you know, yeah. top division yeah. program at Georgia Tech and that sort of thing. Uh, so where the, he started for two years. Exactly. So, the, yeah, the mistakes uh, are a lot less excusable for me, for him. I 100% agree with you. Yeah. But I was uh, I caught the end of that game uh, on Saturday. And obviously uh, we dislike Texas here at uh, College Football Throwdown. But I personally hate Alabama even more. So I was glad to see Texas pull <laughs> it out. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, the SEC, you know, between like Alabama losing, uh, LSU Florida. losing, Florida losing. Yeah, it's not been a great start for them. I, I would agree. I would totally agree. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. Cause again, they only, um, you know, uh, well, this is another example because they all play four non-conference games. You know, they'll, they, they all will probably all end up three and one in their four non-conference games. Cause they don't play anybody in their non-conference games in the sec. So these losses will be forgotten in, in, in large degree, uh, uh, by the end of the season, if they begin to win, where you know when you're in a when you're in a conference that plays nine games and you only have three non-conference games, you lose one. That's that's a bigger deal, right? The best you can be is two and one, right? right? Instead of three and one, that's a big difference in how those percentages and how that score, uh, I mean, uh, record looks to people on the outside. Mm-hmm. So. Another interesting game I caught the end of on Saturday was uh, Washington State versus Wisconsin, uh, which Washington State won at home in an upset, uh, thirty-one to twenty-two. And uh, I thought it was cool to see because obviously, right there, one of the those two leftover schools in the Pac-2, um, and yeah. they were wearing uh, shirts with uh, pirate swords on them because I think their coach has a connection to Mike Leach in the coaching tree and stuff like that. So I thought it was cool to well, see. Well, and them. Mike Leach used to be their coach. Well, there you go. Right. He, yeah. There you go. So, yeah, I thought that was a that was a fun game to watch. Um, and Wisconsin had uh, two big fumbles in inopportune moments that mm. I think played a, a big role in that game, as well as Washington State just uh, you know playing hard and being really physical. You know, I saw a couple plays in the highlights where they just you know barreled ahead, you know, through uh, through Wisconsin's team and stuff like that. I see. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I, you know what? I didn't know that score because <laughs> <laughs> I, I got, I was uh, busy with another activity and I didn't get to see the end of that score. I watched the beginning of that game and I, and my recollection was at the beginning of the game, uh, Wisconsin scored first and looked like they were on their way to a typical, you know, two, three touchdown win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like I said, yeah, those fumbles definitely, uh, were a big factor. Um, and then wow. a couple other interesting ones um, we can go over just quickly. Uh, Oregon beat Texas Tech, but it was close, 38-30. Uh, to 30. Um, Miami mm. beat Texas A&M at home, 48-33. to 33. Uh, Iowa played yeah. against Iowa State, and they won 20-13. to 13. And then uh, Kansas beat Illinois from the Big Ten, and they beat them at home, 34-23. to 23. Wow. See, and so that, that points to the fact that, you know, we still have a chance and this is the mentality that Nebraska fans have to embrace is that you look at Illinois, you look at Iowa, um, you look at Wisconsin and all of a sudden, uh, you know, our big 10 West 
peers aren't, you know, world beaters. And so if we can just right the ship, get these two W's that we're going to get in the next two weeks and then, uh, and, and make progress as a team, then we still have a chance to get the six wins. Yeah. That, that was kind of my thinking as well. Um, and then looking at week three of college football, um, there aren't as many big games, um, but there are a couple uh, that stood out to me. Uh, Washington is playing against Michigan state. It's a home game for Michigan state. So obviously, uh, with the chaos going on there, you know, that makes a tough game already tougher because Washington's ranked eighth right now in the polls. Um, so mm. we'll have to see if they put up a fight or not. Um, and then uh, LSU, who we just mentioned, you know, lost in week one, has to play against Mississippi State at home uh, this weekend as well. So that's another one where, you know, you would say LSU should win, but uh, it's definitely not guaranteed. Right. Well, it's a conference game. And Mississippi State has historically not been one of the preeminent teams of the SEC. So LSU would be expected to win that game. I have a feeling LSU will respond and they'll play very well in that game and probably beat Mississippi State pretty pretty handily. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd say the biggest game and the one that we're going to give a prediction for here is Tennessee-Florida. Uh, it is at home for Florida, which you know gives them uh, a bit of a – bit of an advantage um but they've had kind of a tough start to their year so far um so what are you thinking about that game at tennessee versus florida mm-hmm. wow well i would i would pick tennessee i think in that one i don't know that i i know enough to give a, a score but i feel like it would be pretty high scoring um and uh, but Tennessee would end victorious, and it, even though it's at Florida, you said right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even even with it being away from home, I still think Tennessee's the better team. Okay, um, what do you think? Well, I, I was curious, so I just looked it up. So yeah, they lost to Utah right game one, which we talked about. Uh, but then they right. played against McNeese State, you know, a very difficult opponent, I'm sure. And they crushed them uh, 49 to 7. So, like you say, clearly they've got some offensive firepower on their side. So, I think, let's see. And then Tennessee, they beat Virginia pretty well in the first game and then beat Austin P uh, 13 to 30 last week. Um, so, I think I'll be a little bit different and just to shake things up. And I'll say that uh, Florida managed to narrowly win in an upset victory. Uh, okay. So let's say they win 42 to 35 over Tennessee. Okay. 42 to 35. Okay. That's certainly possible. I mean, when you're playing in the swamp, uh, you know, that's a, that's a tough place to play. Florida's a way better football team at home. Mm-hmm. What about you? What's your score? Well, I said Tennessee would win. And uh, so I would just reverse your score. Okay, so you think it will be close? Yeah, I do. I, I think it'll be close, but I think it'll be high scoring. Mm-hmm. Just with going the opposite way with Tennessee pulling it out. Pulling it out, yep. Okay, I like that. All right, so we'll see how we do with our predictions. Um, and there's more that we can get into. You know, in the future games, there's already been talk about this new uh, clock rule, you know, with the the 
clock not stopping for resetting the chains on first down and stuff like that. People have already been doing calculations on like, you know, how much is it actually changing the length of games and like how many more commercials are there to fill in that space and stuff like that. Uh, so I'd right. say the overall reaction to that so far is uh, negative and I'm not a huge fan of it either, but we'll see how it plays out. We'll talk about it more, I'm sure, as the season goes on. Right. Well, yeah, we, we gave our assessments of that and I think both of us agreed that that these were some foolish uh, um, rule changes that frankly were driven by uh, people who claimed that they wanted to shorten the game. Uh, but all they did was reduce the quality of the sport because it dramatically reduces the number of plays. So I think it creates fewer opportunities for the dramatic come from behind victories and things of that nature, because it's going to be harder for a team that stumbles early in a game to come back from that stumble because the, the, the clock will not work in their favor as much um, and things of that nature. I think that's what will be the result. It will not make the game shorter. Uh, the, uh, you know, the, the TV uh, programming uh, uh, stations will still, uh, you know, overrun and you'll, you'll still miss the first half of the first quarter of the second game of the day because those guys are going to fill up whatever the shortened time is with more commercials. So the length of a game will, won't, won't change ultimately, and it'll still push beyond the, you know, into the three thirty window, as a, as they have historically done. Right. Yep. And the the NCAA folks, when they announced those changes, did say that you know they're willing to uh, evaluate you know how it goes right. for a few years and potentially reverse the changes and things like that. So, um, yeah. you know, it's just the first two weeks. We'll see how it plays out, but I think it's good to make your voices known if you don't like it. So that, uh, hopefully it convinces the NCAA to reverse when the time comes. Yeah. Well, uh, in all likelihood, if they wait too long, the NCAA won't be involved because <laughs> uh, I think that's an organization that has a very short window of life left in it. <laughs> you may be right about that, but we'll call it there. Thank you all for listening yep. to this episode of College Football Throwdown. Uh, if you enjoyed listening, you can reach out to us at huskerpeat13 at gmail.com. You can also find us if you search for College Football Throwdown on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can leave us a review there or a comment. We always love hearing from the fans. So thank you all for listening, and thank you, Dad, for joining me for this episode. And until next time, go Big Red. Go Big Red.